0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Come well, it
2: must have it. Out. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. they it. They've they the defending champions. What a performance, Lennon! Ah, this place has gone bananas. <laughs> what a performance. Under the cuffs for so long in the first half. The character of this team was. never
3: victory going to do for them. No, the
1: cup has handed out this night
3: five weeks, but psychologically that's huge. And what a game. Game of the tournament perhaps. World number one Ireland have taken down the reigning champion Springboks in a titanic pool stage affair in Paris. Matt Hansen and Cheslin Colby got the game's only tries in the low scoring 13-8 contest. But this magnificent Irish side have taken France by storm. Just like our fans, and just like "Zombie" by The Cranberries, joining me this afternoon are three returnees to the podcast. We have a South African fan in our midst, in the form of the returning Tala in Sutu. So, welcome back, on Tala. Uh,
1: okay, thanks for having me on. I took this invitation away of the consequences and the risks of it.
3: Don't worry, we we won't be too triumphant or anything. We'll, <laughs> we'll be we'll be generous to you because you're you're good enough to come on because. I understand I wouldn't like to be taking call squadron podcast this morning if we'd lost <laughs> by five points. And we have two happy but heavy-headed Irish hands, Irish heads as well, alongside us in the form of David Cordial and Stephen Murphy. So welcome back on lads. Cheers. Good to be here, Ken. Always good to have you. And I'll start with yourself, Stephen. An epic encounter last night. A real I was gonna say David Group for Big Lyot, but just a titanic tussle. Um what's your overall thoughts on, on the game at large?
2: Yeah, it was it was a fantastic game. It was a fantastic game to watch. I was watching it in a pub in Galway, hence the, the croaky voice and, and the slightly sore head today. But um it was the it was the a game that was fit for the you know the billing that was given to it. Um we had so many questions going into it from an Irish point of view, because obviously we performed well against Romania and Tonga, but this was a whole different kettle of fish with South Africa. they're the team that scared me the most in the World Cup just because of how physical they are and how dominant they can be. um, And, you know, we wanted to see what we could do in a World Cup. Look, at Ireland being been good for the last two years, but we have so much, you know, we have so many uh, demons when it comes to a World Cup. Uh, You know, we, we would have not been surprised, really, if, if, if maybe a bad performance kind of snuck in there. But this team just doesn't seem to have that in them yet anyway. The mental strength that we saw last night, the back and forth between both teams, it was, it was kind of everything you would want um, especially in a, in a low-scoring game, you know, we, we put eighty points in Romania. and It wasn't a fraction as entertaining as a five-point win uh, over South Africa. But two, two incredible teams. I've seen a great thing going on today as well, and it should be commended. as you know, incredibly physical and hard hitting, but nothing illegal. No high shots. No TMO checks. Uh, it's rugby. It's modern rugby, the way it should be and the way we want it to be. Uh, and it was just a great, a great advertisement for the game. And it was it was cup rugby at its
3: finest in that regard, wasn't it? Like you, you had to be clinical, you had to be smart. And listen, he might he might get mocked, but I think all of us were here clapping like Ben Earl after every turnover and every penalty. It was one of those games. Um, Tala, I I understand. You know, people might think oh, South African mightn't be too happy to to be here, but to your credit, you were very respectful of Ireland last night on online, much to a bit of blowback about it, but. It was a really entertaining game all the same. And I understand disappointing for South Africa, but it was a true a test of two very, very good teams.
1: Yeah, look, I think yesterday um, we had two of the best games um, in the World Cup with this game and the Georgia versus Portugal game. And the reason why this game was fantastic was, like Steve was saying, this was a true test of, it was a true test match. And it was a true, like almost a knockout type of atmosphere. Um, I tweeted just before the game ended, I think in the last 10 minutes, when it was, the game was still in the balance that look, there's enough, I think for both sides to take positives from this. I don't see any other team, but uh, a, a France team, especially with Dupont being able to reach this level of play. So if both teams are able to be, you know, taking good decisions like they did um, in, in defense especially and you know sharpen up one or two things like there's nothing for them to fear if they face each other again or if um they if they face a team like France or if yeah New Zealand has a good day or whatever so yeah the quality of the game was great um there were so many good performances a lot of the world-class or like top players in their positions all stood up yeah I mean apart from Obviously, South Africans, um, you know, it's a bit of a blue Sunday, blue Monday um, for South African fans. Like when, when, whenever the box lose and there's a bit of finger pointing, and I'm sure you're going to talk about some of the consequences for selection and everything. Yeah, but in essence, there were things that were, were within the spring box control, and they didn't do that, and that's the reason why they lost.
3: Yeah, no, it's 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 fair that that soul searching was was always going to be the case, no matter who came out on the wrong side, and even at that like it's it's very easy to if it was a 10 point win to maybe say it but like it was a, a one score game you know in an unbelievable test match as you said and and David like get your thoughts on it as well because it was a game that as myself and Stephen were saying before we, we started it seemed to resonate with an awful lot of people in this country and we'll talk about the bigger picture later on but it's kind of a showing that rugby at the moment, as much as anything else, in its purest form, is thoroughly enjoyable. And when you get a game like that between two of the best in the world, it's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a really uh titanic performance, not just from the two teams involved, but um but for the sport. Um I've I've watched it back twice now, I think, since um shout out to uh our own uh, Suzanne who sorted me out with our recording and it's it's really telling that for a match as low scoring as it was it d- did not get less engaging on the rewatch the, the I think both teams the really the, the thing that really stood out with the match was both teams put in incredible performances Um, you know this was not a show of over dominance uh, from either side towards the other Um, they both played very well and they both countered each other really well so even though there wasn't uh, it didn't show on the scoreline. I thought both sides um, had had a decent amount of flair and attack, and then just you know structured defence and scramble defence, particularly in South Africa's case. I thought their scramble defence was was incredible. Um, single score difference, nothing between the teams. Um, you know, five points this way, five points that way. That's you know two penalties or or a single try, and it swings the opposite direction. So I think Ireland will come out of it very confident. Um, I think it was a, it was a big match for them. Obviously, we don't want to uh peak too early in the in the pool stages but i think they'll they come out of this knowing that if they play to their game plan there isn't a team that they can't beat um but on the flip side i don't think south africa will be overly concerned um it was a 5 point swing a you know a, a bounce of a ball is a difference uh in that in that situation and coming up against france possibly without antoine dupont or uh against new zealand um i i think it'll probably be france now um i don't think there's there's any team that they will be uh, afraid of facing in the tournament. Um and if if we get to the final and these two teams meet again, you know, the the bounce of the ball could go the opposite direction and it could be a five point swing um back in their favour. So um I think I think both teams oddly will come out of this one fairly positive. Obviously Ireland happy to get the win but I, I don't think South Africa will be will be too worried coming out of
3: this one. Yeah no absolutely and it was that type of a game and I suppose we get into kind of the the main talking points or directions to to lead the conversation in terms of looking back on the game. And Stephen, I'll start with you because I, I don't know, I felt like set piece and maybe we were just completely off the mark, but an awful lot of talk set piece was the Irish scrum South African lineup, but it ended up kind of being the other way around. You know, Porter did a really good job in Malherba. The Irish line out, I think they lost their first four and won their next five or something. It was a very shaky start for for but. Kellner and for his jumpers as well, it should be said. And it kind of unfolded to be a game within a game, that set piece, because, you know, when you're playing South Africa, it's been the same for 20 years. When you're playing South Africa, you have to at least get parity at set piece time. And it it wasn't easy, but it feels like Ireland just, just got there.
2: Yeah, look, I'm by no means a, a set-piece expert, but it was clear that Ireland struggled off the ball. I think we lost, say, the first four or five. And it wasn't even like South Africa didn't steal all of them. Some of them were overthrown. They weren't even close at times. We were going for complicated throws um, when, again, Keller, obviously, confidence wasn't high. And look, there those question marks over Ireland's line coming into the World Cup. Uh, it was good in the Six Nations, but since then it's sort of been a, a bit flat at times. Um, and, and amazingly enough, it didn't really cost us. Which you know, again, another another game or a place South Africa again. If that line is not working, you could get punished and punished severely. Um, the scrum seems to go back and forth. South Africa would win a couple of penalties. Then Ireland can, would hold their own. Um, but what I, what I was surprised by most was South Africa maybe choosing not to back their own line at a time, especially when we'll get to the kicks in a minute. But I I would have thought they would have gone to the corner and try and try to impose their will. That's in that sense. Which I was surprised by. Maybe it's a compliment towards Ireland, but uh, the main question marks again coming out of that game now is uh, w- w- what can Ireland do to maybe fix that line out those line out issues? Because South Africa have maybe done us a favor a little with a little bit there where they've exposed something that Farrell can now hopefully sink his teeth into over the next couple of weeks before uh, getting to another maybe a quarter final against France or New Zealand. So um, yeah, it, it's it's look at set piece like that. It's very hard to build attacking platform when your line out's not operating well. Uh, we saw that last time with Ireland's attack. It looked pretty, pretty, uh, pretty average at best at times. And that's because we had no attacking platform. And there's also the momentum that it just creates for the likes of South Africa. Like South Africa love messing up someone's line out. Like they get such energy from that. Um, and you know you can't give them easy, easy wins like that. Again, we got lucky last night it didn't it didn't cost us to win. But you can't be that sloppy again and, and, and think you're going to get away with it. Yeah, no, it's, you're bang on because if
3: that was, like, say, like South Africa had a very good set piece, their kicks let them down. If they have a bad set piece against France, that could be in, you know that could maybe not France, maybe New Zealand, depending on, but that could end up being costly. You know, you don't know, and you have to kind of view it from that prism as well. Like it, it was good from Ireland that they, that they problem solved and and what not, but certainly, had its shaky moments. Tal, just for for your input on this, like. Certainly felt for me. Lineout was okay. I f- felt like some of it was Ireland's jumps and you know just a bit of a timing issue. But to be fair, Mustard and Etzebet just they just got up. They just just got up in the air, put the pressure on. Scrummaging wise, then I thought Inche and Nai really went after Ireland's scrum until maybe Beelum came on. I think Beelum did really well. What what was your making of of the set piece from from your viewpoint?
1: Yeah. Um. I think there's been a few gremlins in the Irish line-out for the last few weeks um, that have crept in for 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 some reason. Um, apparently, this is the fourth game in this game since August that they've lost more than four or more lineouts, which is an issue. Uh, on the other hand, though, Ireland has close to twenty lineouts a game, so maybe it's not as much of an issue um, because they have a high ratio. But as Stephen said, there there had to be a lot of plan B's in terms of okay now Ireland was pretty much mostly throwing to the front or not or doing five man lineouts and not really being able to launch an attack from their out like they usually do i think there was only i can only think of the one lineout where they did have ball off the top and then um Van der Fleer carried quite well in the midfield most other lineouts they had to do maybe a little bit more conservative like moves just off like a, a dummy mall and everything so the, the I think there's some things that they need to fix. Maybe it's just a matter of Dan Sheehan playing. I mean, we know that Dan Sheehan's lineout throwing accuracy is ridiculous. Apparently, he's only missed like three lineouts for Ireland in his whole career or something crazy like that. But um, also, South Africa has probably the best defensive line-out in the world um, with Mostert and and Ibenesbeth. They just as you as you saw yesterday just both jump. And jump as high as possible so you need to get your timing right and the, the 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 throwing has to be great and everything so I don't think it was apart from I think there was one skewed line out I think everything else was more of a timing and accuracy issue than it was for solely on Ronan Kelleher so there is things that they need to fix um, and Polo Connell I'm sure will fix it so what's weird is that Ireland had a great line out Pretty much before this um, World Cup um, part of the season, so it's just yeah, it's a it's a concern now, and it's just something that they have to to fix. Um, I was a bit surprised that once Ireland started going at the front, that South Africa didn't really compete. Um, I just thought there was maybe an opportunity to really just almost go for the kill and just to be like, look, we're going to mess up each and every one of your lineouts and just to really further emphasize. But yeah, again, maybe Saifka was a bit scared of the Irish drive or, or, or playing off the lineout. So they wanted as many defenders up and available as possible. So I think that was probably a reason for that. And then with the scrums, yeah, I think... I've given Andrew Porter a lot of stick about his scrumming and that he doesn't scrum straight and all, all that sort of stuff. And he did really well. I think at least most of the scrums I saw from above, he seemed to be holding on straight and seemed to be putting Malherbe into a lot of difficulty, which there's not many loose ends in the world, that can say that, at least in the last few years. So that was great. I think, though, if Ireland does play South Africa again, once Chair comes on, Tug Felong has to come off. As, as soon as possible because Furlong struggles with a short a short to loose head and Ox's thing or the reason why Ox is such a good scrummager is that he can get under um, the 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 tight head. Now the other the concern though on the South African side is I mean the scrum went largely well. I mean we can't expect that every scrum are going to get a scrum penalty, um, although I'm sure people on Twitter expect differently. But the question now is twofold is Malhobe now had two games where he's had a few struggles with the loose head. Is that uh, an issue or not? Um, number two is because I, th- some well people that know a lot more about scrum said that a part of the reason why we conceded that, um, that I think it was a free kick later in the game was Dion free and sort of the timing and all that sort of stuff. So obviously as we all know, the Springboks decided to put to select Andre Pollard as their second hooker. So what does that mean in terms of, okay, we have someone like John Furrier or Marco van Staden that will be scrumming there. What are we losing? Is it something that can be fixed? Because, of course, I mean, Ireland, we're going, we're going to go up against a strong scrum. France we're going to go up against a strong scrum if we go to the quarterfinals. So it's something that needs to be fixed quickly if we want to go further in this competition
3: and and France in Mavaca and Marchand have really tough scrummaging hookers as mm. well. Like they are built like a brick wall in terms of their, they're square and they're very tough to get Anton on. I, I, this, it was a great game. We won't just solely touch on negatives because the next part is what was, in my opinion, one of the finest displays that we've seen in the modern game. You never see two twelves going up against each other and having a, a real battle by thought. Aki, who did get player of the match, and Damon De Delende, they were just phenomenal. Probably the, each other's best player, you could argue. And David, uh, you watched it back, so you can probably tell me if I'm if I'm talking with a bit of hindsight bias or whatever. But certainly felt like this was an, a really good battle that shaped how Ireland laid down America, but as well South Africa in in defence as well.
0: Yeah, I think they both had huge games. Um, I think if you've been watching Ireland play recently, you wouldn't be surprised um, by Bundy's performance. He's he seems to be a man who's just timed his his peak form at at the perfect moment. He's just been, and obviously, you know, against Romania and and Tonga, all due respect to both of those sides, um, you know, it wouldn't immediately be obvious that uh, that he he was hitting those heights, but when he was able to continue it. Against a team as good as South Africa, it just—it's a testament to the kind of <laughs> the kind of form he's showing. Um, and I think for him, the biggest thing is that he had this this uh, reputation as as being a crash ball twelve. He's big, he's physically strong, but I think now he's showing that he's he's not—he's all those things, and he's also incredibly fast. Um, you know, his breakaway for his try uh, against. Uh, was it Tonga, his first try it was just the speed he was hitting. Just, he was uncatchable. Um, he had a break against South Africa in the first half um, where you really thought he was on the verge of going all the way and, and credit to, I think it was Colby and, and another player who managed to bring him down. Like this, That speed combined with his, hes I think he's become Ireland's best distributing 12. He can flip out these massive, 30-meter passes, almost wing-to-wing, wing, um, and that's led to, to tries for Ireland more times than I can count. So he's just been incredible. And then uh, D'Alende, I think I only noticed it on the rewatch. I think the the first time I was watching, I was too caught up in the moments to really notice um uh, positive things about South Africa. But on the rewatches, my God, he had some impact. I mean, it, his... Um, I know I was saying Bundy has a reputation as a crash ball twelve. It, and it was running through Irish players for fun, you know I think there were at least two i think um players who who took a while getting back up after he he was done with them and it wasn't just like carrying strongly into contact, he was brushing guys off he was bouncing through tackles um, it was taking two three attempts to bring him to ground. He was just incredible he was in this and um to to watch the two of them face off against each other you know the the same you know two twelves just absolutely dominating. Um, the attacking form for their their teams was incredibly impressive, um, and I think if either of them were up against anyone but the teams that they were up against today, uh, the pair of them would have, would have tries coming out of that game. So, uh, like I think, Bundyaki obviously for Ireland, absolutely massive hitting his hitting his form at the right time. But uh, Damian Dialande is is doing the doing the same for South Africa, and uh, just incredible to watch the two of them face off in the one match.
3: Yeah, no, it was it was a true a true exhibition, and and listen, Bundy is in the form of his life. But David de Linde has had to kick on another bit because when Andreas Helsen has a really good pre World Cup um run of form. And to be fair to de Lende, he's just laid down another marker to show why he should be starting twelve. And Tala, I want to move back to South Africa now because kicking was always going to be one of the things that we highlighted. They only kicked the ball with twenty times in open play, which is probably a little bit less than than we would have expected kick smartly now doing that I, it should be said but the, an awful lot of the talk was on Lebok. you know a lot of, a lot of Irish fans who have seen the URC final seen him fail to land a few kicks and it's happened in in games gone by as well for, for South Africa and South Africa ended up leaving 11 points behind and off off the tee two of them granted you know after Clark's long range penalty they end up scoring the try from, from that missed kick but it's it's costly, but at the same time, if Pollard comes back, there's that catch twenty two. You don't get the same attacking game. You do get the point scoring, and that's something you've 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 discussed quite well. It's 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 a weird one now for South Africa, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's oh, it's a it's a very difficult um, dilemma for South Africa. So I think quickly on the like field kicking or territorial kicking, I thought. I mean, yeah, I think you can go through pretty much all 46 players that played. I think most of them played really well. Um, and, yeah, like also all the counterparts all matching up against each other. But I thought um box kicking was close to exceptional most of the time. And the, my only wish was that Sarafka used that weapon a bit more because we were getting a bit of traction with, you know, contested high balls and, and. Yeah, just putting a bit more pressure onto the Irish and 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 yeah, and getting those those contestable kicks. So it says that we kicked like in terms of like the the number of possessions that we had, we only kicked the ball um, in forty six percent of our possessions, whereas Ireland kicked fifty nine percent of the time. And you know those things matter in terms of winning the territory battle. So Ireland had fifty three percent territory, which I think. A lot of the reason was them kicking and kicking quite smartly, especially in the second half. I think the 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 yeah, I think the direction was quite clear once halftime happened that Sexton and um, James Lowe were told, look, let's try to play as much rugby as possible in the spring box half. So I think though, with regards to field kicking, just just another point is that Manuel Box field kicking, I think, was also quite good. And especially his penalty kicks for for like going to touch. I don't know if there's another fly half that gets as much meters as he does. I think it gets close to 50 meters. And it's the fact that he can kick from left and right, and he just is able to get every last meter. Like when you compare it to what Sexton was doing, Sexton was kicking it safe and he got like 20 or 30 meters, which is fine. Lubbock, like in that final penalty for that final line got 40 odd, maybe close to 50 meters. So it is a really good quality that he has. And I think... I I wish the Springboks just kicked a bit more, and obviously that's um, something that they have to look at, because it does seem like the Springboks are trying to play a bit more of a wide ball-in-hand type of um, game plan, which I think bit us in the butt uh, in some cases with the Irish, especially with their defence and counteracting and, and turnovers. The place-kicking, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun conversation on Twitter the last...
3: 16 I'm, or so hours I'm, I'm sure it's been very fun <laughs>
1: <laughs> well look the 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 main thing is did money LeBoc is money LeBoc kicking well from the tee no what are the reasons for that I think partly Lubbock doesn't have the best kicking technique in the world there's people that know a lot better that say he's a hooker of a kicker so I'm sure people that play golf you know, I, I'm very much of a hooker with my with my swing myself, so I can completely understand that. So he needs to almost stand in a in a bit of a different way that other kickers um, need to do. And I think another factor is that he's not really doing well with the shot clock. So I think he has a long routine. He does a lot of like swings and all that sort of stuff. And I think by the time he gets into it, and the fact that the shot clock starts you know when the penalty is given or you know when the try is scored or whatever the case is if it's a penalty we have to first look on top there for the red light to know if we could doing a kick or not which I think is also a little bit of a factor in just delaying things as well then it's okay we decide to kick then the tee comes on then the starts with his routine and he's always constantly kicking at like the last few seconds and it's always I feel like he almost has to rush the last few parts of of his kicking routine. So I do think that's also a factor as well. Another factor is that Saifker, for whatever reason, doesn't have a kicking coach in their squad. When Razi Rasmus was asked as to why he's not using the Stormers kicking coach, for example, the one that Mani Lepak uses, um, Razi said, "Then we'd have to get specialist coaches for all positions and for all players. So then we'd have 33 specialist coaches for each player, which obviously is ridiculous." But yeah, I think Saab could put themselves in in this position um, by only having Le as their only recognized fly half and pretty much the only recognized um, uh, goal kicker in the squad before Hendrik Pollard came. So then when the Marks injury happened, it was basically a coin toss of do we want a specialist too or do we want a goal kicker or at least some extra protection? And they chose the goal kicking. I mean, I think we'll talk about the bomb squad and stuff later. I think that has its own consequences. But yeah, I think it's clear that, that Mani LeBoc did not perform well enough with his goal-kicking. And unfortunately, as the goal-kicker, he has to take, um, you know, fall on his sword in that case in terms of probably he won't be start. or I don't think he'll be starting in the quarterfinal if we get there. So it's a matter of if Pollard can prove his fitness against Tonga, can get through that game, can show that he's at least fit, then I think he's going to be playing at number 10 from now on. But now this brings a lot of questions as to what that means for the Springboks, because the Springboks have started becoming a bit more of a possession based team that goes wide, that plays off 10, that has looked a bit more expansive when Andre Pollard got injured last year. And then it was first Damien Willems and then Mani LeBoc became the fly And Maybe it was going to happen anyway, but I think the coaches saw the opportunity to go, look, these people are a lot more, you know, they're better passes than Pollard. They're a bit more expansive. They're a better running game than Pollard. Let's try to be a bit more expansive with our running game now. So let's put Libbock in. Let's play off ten a lot more. Uh, like the, there's some stats that we have here that say like the Springboks, they played a lot wider than Ireland did, which I think for most people who would have been, you know, thinking about the game before, you would expect Ireland to be the one playing wide and the box playing tight. So the Springboks had, you know, 20% of their possessions were out wide and 46% of them were in the midfield. So that's 66% of your possessions are oh, like away from like that 9 10 channel. It's it's basically Libok or Willemsa have to pass to, you know, the midfield, uh, or pot of forwards, whatever the case is. And Pollard isn't. He's not, he's not the best pass in the world. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Like he's a good passer. He can obviously do short passes. He does struggle with long passes. So for example, the long pass that Lubbock had for Ches and Colby, does Pollard do it? I'm not sure. So there's a very big trade-off here that the Springboks have to consider as to how do how do the Springboks play if Pollard's number 10? I don't think we can play exactly how the way that we play now. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe the Springboks will sort of you know, go to a lot more of a conservative um, game plan for a knockout rugby, which is fine. Pollard obviously is well experienced in knockout rugby and he's great at that. But that then also means we're a lot more predictable. And for the likes of Ireland and France, I'm sure they'd be more than happy to know that, okay, we don't have to worry about the wide threat. We don't have to worry about, you know, these nice long bridging passes that Lebok does usually. We just have to worry about the nine and the nine channel and one off runners and all that sort of stuff. So then there's that consequence. There's also then a reserve consequence. Do we have Lebok? Or either if Lebok or Paul starts, do we have the other fly half on the bench, just so that we have a change of plan in terms of either we need someone to kick goals or we need someone to you know spark the attack. What what does that mean for Villy What does that mean for Damien Willemsa? Do we go 5-3? I think we should go 5-3. But yeah, obviously the Springmarks are very committed to, you know, having as many forwards as possible. So there's a lot of consequences. And yeah, it's a it's a weird place for a team that's, you know, a big contender in the World Cup. You there's a lot of questions that we have about our 23 and our game plan. That usually is not a situation in which a team is in if they win the World Cup. And no, I know from nine, um, from 2007 and from 2019, we usually know who our 23 is, know how we're gonna play, and we pretty much just execute that. So this, yeah, I think those are not good signs that we could be changing a fly half, we could be pretty much changing a game plan, we could be changing goal kickers and all that sort of stuff. And the final point is that look, Pollard has his off days, <laughs> so there's pretty much a big big debate on South African rugby Twitter about you know obviously. Pollard must come in, he's a better goal kicker, no one, deny, no one denies that, but yeah, Pollard can have a few stinkers as well, where he just, I don't know if it's a concentration thing or whatever, but he's not as consistent as a Thomas Ramos or Meliano Buffeli. so it's also not a done deal that he gets all those kicks, like when you see where the kicks were taken, I think there was only one real easy kick from the four kicks that were missed by the box. Um, the one that was in the 22. The, the other ones were either quite far or at an angle. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, we uh, there's a lot of hope that basically in that Tonga game, should Pollard start, that he has to get running um, as soon as possible. And he's only played half a, well, 30 minutes of a game in the last four months. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of questions now for the Springboks.
3: It's it's, it's a big question at that because you're lo- you're asking a lad who like not even just playing 30 minutes, but 30 minutes of a preseason game of Mm -hmm. premiership sides who were even rotated out of that. Like that's, it's not a high standard. So like he really needs to hit the ground running, but then, you know, there's this fact, as we said, Lebok really good in attack kicking has been iffy Pollard. He's not as good of an attacker. And there, there's so many questions because South Africa, as we've said before, they've, they've progressed into this on ball type team, Livock is a, is a big reason for that and, and David will come to you next because I want to talk about Ireland's attack anyway and it's a nice way to move on to it like it felt like in the main yeah they were shut down to a degree because South Africa have this incredible blitz defence Ireland didn't have as much time on the ball slower ruck speeds etc but still felt like it was a pretty good display all things considered in, with ball in hand
0: yeah yeah no I thought um the The real um kind of uh, point of difference that ireland have have demonstrated um in recent times even in even in games against against teams like uh romania uh, is is their phase play attack um they seem to be very very big fans of of stringing multiple passes together tip in passes passes out wide they seem to like to keep the ball moving a lot um it seems to be Effective, uh, very good at, at keeping the defense on their toes. I I was very concerned going into this game about South Africa's scramble defense because I do remember that from November. Um, it makes it very difficult to to get those passes off. I actually thought, though, in this game that it fired very well. Um, there was a the first attack I'm thinking of was on about twelve or thirteen minutes. Um, Ireland string a couple of passes together, then Gary Ringrose um splits it out wide, and, and Hugo Keenan just. Absolutely. Sprints forward. And um, if not for a very good uh, last minute scramble tackle, Keenan's over there. Um, So I think I thought in that game, it'd be easy to look at the scoreline and think that, okay, both both sides kind of, you know, defense was the was the name of the game on the day. And I think it was. But I really think scramble defense was the name of the the game on the day, because I thought um, for Ireland, yes, but even for South Africa, I thought they both had. Um, some runs of good attack, but it was just the last tackle was made every time. Um, and the only the only times they scored tries were when, when uh, the the defense was drawn in tight enough that you could you could send a winger over basically um uh, un unopposed. You know, both Hansen and Colby for their for their tries didn't have to go past anyone to get their scores. So. I thought uh overall watching the game back, the, the phase play from Ireland was as good as, it, good as it ever was, but um South Africa's scramble defense was just just phenomenal. Um as Ireland's had to be in response. Um yep. so yeah, I, I, I yeah. So I thought uh for for as low scoring a game as it was, the attack was still scintillating. It was uh really, really thrilling to watch. Um so I think if if anything coming out of that game, um, the, the the one takeaway I would have is that it was a testament to the defense of both teams that they only managed to score a try against each other because the attack was was really good.
2: Yep,
1: Tyler, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, very quickly. I think Ireland learned um, a lot from their game in twenty twenty two against the box. I think in twenty twenty two they're trying to go too wide. And I think we've all seen that um, interview that Jim Hamilton had with Ron Agara where he was talking about you have to go through a rush defense and not go around it. Yeah. And Ireland, I think we're trying to go through it in the um, going around it lost in the last game. And then the second half they adjusted and then they started getting a bit more forward ball as they were, you know, doing passes inside and all that sort of stuff. And in this game, what I think what they, they said is that we're going to be patient. We're going to set ourselves up. We're going to make sure we retain the ball in Iraq. And we're gonna attack as narrow as possible. I don't think I've ever seen Mac Han. I mean, we know that Hansen and Lowe pop up everywhere, but they I don't think they ever really were on their wings. Like they were pretty much in the midfield or close to a Ruck, and all of the Irish moves and the intricate okay. patterns, everything happened quite close or very close to where the Rucks were. So I think it's 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 gonna be it's a big credit to Ireland that they won a game where they had no rack speed. They they even had less um three second racks than the Springboks had. They had an average rack speed of like four and a half seconds, which is an eternity for the Irish side.
3: About a second and, and a it, half more than than prior to
1: yeah.
3: The the first two games, granted, the first two games not great opponents, but it's it's the highest of the year anyway.
1: Mm. So it's a big credit to Ireland that they were able to almost win this way I mean yeah Rassie in Chasing the Sun talks about playing in the gutters and Ireland showed that they can win a, a gutter fight or a street fight or whatever you want to call it they really played a, a game that isn't really their natural game and they still were able to beat the Springboks almost in their own game or uh, arguably
3: yeah no absolutely it was and that's something that impresses us about this Irish team they find a way they problem solve really well like that 250 odd meters made is is by far their lowest of the year, but they get the job done. And you could be cynical and say, well, Gibson Park needs to start learning how to direct these slower games. You know, kind of, I felt like his performance mirrored his Champions Cup final performance, which was six, seven out of 10, but, but nothing else. Do you know that? And that's, that's fine. But, you know, you would prefer if, if he, if he learns from it. And David, you you want to jump in there before I, before I move on?
0: Yeah, no, just to just to 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 um, piggyback on on what Tal said, like the last pass for Mac Hansen's try was James Low. You yeah. know, Hansen goes over in the right wing, and it's it's Low who's the final pass there to get it uh, to get it over. So, um, yeah, I, you know that, those those two are just interchangeable with with other positions on the field, and I think that really adds Tarlins defense because they can basically be whatever the attack needs them to be.
3: And that physicality through the midfield, it's it's becoming a point of difference. Like we spoke before the World Cup ad nauseum. What if Hugo Keenan gets injured? How does Ireland manage? You know, he's our best fullback. But Lowe and Hansen have been really, really good the last three, four games. You probably include the England game at that, where they've been coming in off their wings, they've been powerful, like Lowe winning a, a breakdown turnover in the first half. Like that's that's huge. You know, that is huge psychologically as well. That it, you know. By the time at Doris Darris gets the rock, the ball is won. And he came up with those big moments. And probably someone if, if we were talking about going through the squad and as a whole, he'd be someone who'd be one of the best rated. And we spoke before we came on about the about the subs and how important that was. And we'll get Tala's view on the bomb squad and and all that in a minute. But we'll just to start with Ireland and it was really impressive, wasn't it? Like you look at Dan Sheehan, I felt like, yeah, he he did well because he's Dan Sheehan. I don't think he did much better than Ronald Caller. I felt like he had a good game, but Sheehan was really good. Top thought Bielham, as as Talon mentioned earlier, locked out really well against Ox and Che. He, he managed to get in lower than Furlong could against Ox, who likes to get in low and it put him under serious pressure. Henderson, really steady things. I feel like Conor Murray was probably at his best and you know, Robbie Henshaw got two stints in the game of 10 minutes each, and he was really, really sharp in them, and someone mentioned, if you watch back the Bundiyaki clip, he actually jumps over um, one of the South African players on the ground who falls trying to tackle Bundiyaki, and just jumps him nice and clean, like a chase. and it was a really good display. Stephen, I might just get your thoughts on, on it as well, because it felt like, yeah, we keep saying this Irish 23 is probably better than ever. They've got game changers on the bench. They've got Lads who can who can see at home. But just the the fact that we spent all week talking about the South African bench and the likes of Ian Henderson, Conor Murray, the old guard, and then, you know, Robbie Henshaw, Jack Crowley, granted Robbie Henshaw isn't as young, Jack Crowley, Dan Sheehan, Finley Bealham, guys with less caps were absolutely integral to Ireland getting the job done the last 10 minutes.
2: Yeah, I think Irish teams of the past, there has been a, a bit of a talent gap from that starting 15 to the bench. That just is gone now. Like in the last, the last this year alone, you know, the, the gap between Furlong and, and any other tight end uh, was huge. Now it's not. Finley Beatham is more than capable of uh, coming in and having a stellar performance. Uh, having Dan Sheen on the bench, obviously, is, is an absolute luxury. Obviously, he's only coming back into to form. But the, the players coming onto the pitch probably feel in, in their head that they should be starting the game. Um, and that's the that's the level of talent, and also they're coming on with such a belief and uh, an attitude of like you know there's no fear in the players coming on the pitch, which is huge. And and that's that's uh, uh, has to be said. It's it's a huge uh, tick in the box for Andy Farrell and his psychology and what he's done with this team and turned them into the mentally you know a mentally strong team like that we were never ever before. Um, we all know that we've lost games in the past because we, we we didn't show up, we shot ourselves in the foot. And this team just does not do that. And when you when you when you don't beat yourself, this team, this Irish team, is incredibly hard to beat. And we saw that last night. Uh, which is how uh, you know South Africa played quite well and still couldn't get it over the line. Now, obviously, we talk about the kicking most, but the, the 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 level of talent and the, the cohesion among the group, like you know, I've been guilty of the past of saying we need more rotation, we need to get newer guys in here to the to the squad. But this is why you don't necessarily do that. This is why Andy Farrell. Tends to pick the same players over and over again because they uh, they know each other in and out, they trust each other, which is a huge thing at, at that level. Uh, and we that's what we said before with Sexton, uh, the, the the confidence that Sexton gives the players around him is just is huge, and that's not necessarily there with with the likes of Joey Carberry in the past, with the likes of Jack Carty in the past. Uh, Crowley, obviously is still so young but so talented, but these lads trust each other. They they will you know they'll go to battle for each other. Uh, and that's, again, all down to probably Andy Farrell and the coaching staff, but also the cohesion that they've built over the past three or four years. No, absolutely. You've you nailed it there. And
3: you, you see someone, Beelum is a prime example. Beelum was out of favour at the start of Farrell's reign, got a game at loose, a prop, didn't play well, and that he missed out in the next squad because they were looking at O'Toole. In the long term, Porter was still playing tight head. And now you could make a case that Finley Bielham was one of the most important players in the Irish squad. Because he's what he's doing when he comes off the bench is just—it's the definition of next man up, get the job done, you know. And Tiger Verlong, isn't—isn't isn't that his career best form? It's it, which is fair to say, and we we'll probably judge him unfairly against that. But to have someone like Beaton going on and doing my day, to have someone like Conor Murray, Ian Henderson, with all their experience, to be doing what they're doing over 300 professional games, like it's—it's it's huge. And on the flip side as we said, you know, probably way too much last week about the South African bomb squad, the 7-1. It was talked about, it was talked about, but I, I don't want to be disrespectful here, to Like I don't want to say that they didn't perform because it, they were they were good, but with the exception of probably Orge Sleiman, you could argue none of them really came on and made the, the big impact that they probably should have. Oxenjay had two very good scrums and Beelen come on and it leveled out again, so it's probably not the Probably not what Razzie and and Jack Nineveh would have wanted when they went with the the forward forward dominant bench.
1: Yeah, I think I think you being yeah, I think that point is maybe a little bit slightly unfair to I think the performance of the the the, the players. So the players that played in their normal positions, I think, did add an impact. Uh, we saw with um Oxenchip driving a they won some scrum penalties, and then um. Sleiman and um, John Klein, your old friend, you know, he did really. they did really well with the, the set piece. I think there was no issues there. Vin started and Quagha Smith, I think Quagha, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of time for him. And he was just absolutely, the South clearly in the second half said, okay, Isla's disrupting our rucks, we can, two can play that game. And Quagha just came in like a wrecking ball in the rucks. So the issue is, do we need all seven people to do that? Probably not. So yeah I yeah I I can't see that I, I don't think that the 7-1 split makes sense especially when we don't have a, a a recognized second choice hooker so it even makes it worse that we are putting all these forwards on and we're adding risk in terms of obviously backline replacements and you know we don't even have a recognized hooker coming on as well so if maybe this was Bonambi coming on for marks in the second half, and then it's the new pack with Bonambi um, in it as well, that has a bit more of an impact. That is kind of how it worked in that New Zealand game. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is we, I think we, and maybe this was part of the whole, I mean, at least there's a, let's say 20% or 10% of Africans think that this is, this loss was done on purpose and it's all part of Russi's plan and all that sort of stuff. But if 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 that is the case, yeah, may, them subbing off um, Khaleesi and Etzabeth, especially like before the 50-minute mark, that's probably not something I would advise they do in the future as well. So like, I would, especially with Etzabeth, and I mean, both with Khaleesi and Etzabeth, um, those two need to play close to 60-odd 60, 60 minutes, and then you can just like blood in the the, the bomb squad as they come on as well. So I, yeah, I think that's also a concern as to timing because it's no, I mean, yes, we have two quality packs basically, but, you know, there's certain players that are (laughs) above, you know, even they're like world-class or even above that level, if you can say that. So they should try to stay in big, decisive games as long as possible as well. So then there's that concern as well. So, you know, when we finish the game, we had Nche, Furi, Snyman, Sneyman, Klain, uh, Kwaka, Peter Stef Toy, and Staden. I mean, for Ireland, you look at that, and that's why I admired what Andy Farrell said about the bomb squad. It's like, there's, not, there's nothing to be that concerned about, because, I mean, Bielan can match Ox, sort of. Uh, you know, Sheehan, obviously, can definitely match whatever we have at Hooker. Um, Henderson can sort of match what you know the likes of Klein and Snaman do as well. Like it, 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 it's not like you have this big advantage, especially with you know the best teams in the world. So now we add to this that you know we possibly going to change our fly halves, and the question then becomes: Do we not need at least two, if not three, reserve spots for um, our backline because? my ideal lineup for the spring box if Pollard starts is that LaRue's at fullback because LaRue basically helps the attack and has helps with the deficiencies that Pollard has. And then I think then in the second half, if we're chasing a game or even if we're being defensive, Willems is the perfect player 23 because if we try to you know defend, then you put him on for LaRue and we can he can defend and all that sort of stuff. If we need to attack, you can even put him in on a twelve and maybe take out someone like DLND or Creel, have Leroux there, and then also have Libok as a possible option to spark the attack if we need to chase a game. Because, yeah, I don't think there'll be much chasing of a game if Pollard and Willemse are playing 10 and 15, because they're not really, you know, the best playmakers in the world. Like Willemse, who I thought had a fantastic game. I think he was probably, if not the best, the second best backline player for the Springboks. But he attacks for himself. He is good at creating opportunities for himself. He's not really the playmaker like someone like Mike Hansen is, for example. Like, and there's a there's a big difference there. So yeah, I think there's a lot of questions now for Russia and Jacques. I don't think we'll see 7-1 again. I think they saw the limitations of it, especially when we don't really have you know as much quality, obviously, with our hooker now and you know, there's there, there's a there's there's a bit of diminishing returns with regards to it, and you want to keep some of your best players on the field as long as possible. And yeah, seeing that apart from that, maybe ten minutes period in the fifty to sixty minutes where you know, circles was, were was starting to put scrum penalties and 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 put pressure on Ireland. The thing that will be, I think, a big uh, mark against the whole strategy was. Ireland countered that. They, you know, they absorbed the pressure. They were going back. It seemed like the game was swinging towards South Africa. They just fought back when they put on their reserves and when Bieland came on and Henderson was great with the line out and then Baird came on as well. So Ireland can counter this. We know that France can counter this because they'll have probably a 6-2 bench of their own. So, yeah, I I don't think it's much of a, there's much of a point on going 7-1, maybe 6-2, but yeah, now with the Pollard issue or the goal-kicking issue, we might even have to investigate going 5-3, which, yeah, after all this talk in the last few weeks seems quite bland, actually.
3: Yeah, it seems it seems a bit too normal, <laughs> considering everything that has been said, you know, about the morals and, and all that. And just to pick up on one of the points you made, probably the, a large reason why the subs may not have stood out was Khaleesi was really impressive. Etzabet was really impressive. And sometimes... It's very easy to get drawn into, especially when you're not following Van Staden or Smith or or whoever. It's very easy to be drawn into, well, how did the guy that they replaced play? And Cleese, he was brilliant. And maybe that just makes Quadra Smith not look as good, you know, by by virtue of that. And and the same with Ed Swett and like Ed Spett and Klein don't don't play the same game, you know. But that's probably why Snyman stood out because he, he had that more dynamic performance. And just before we round things off, Stephen, like this was a huge win, a huge performance, but uh, on the grand scale, grand scheme of things like Ireland, it it doesn't feel like this is them peaked. You know, that's, that's one side of it. And it feels like they're, they're only building, they're growing. They're going to get huge confidence out of this. No injuries last night. Remarkably, you know, maybe Josh der Vleer might have a finger issue that, but that probably won't be answered serious. Um, but it just feels like this win, the confidence, the hype and the buzz around the country last night. It it, it feels like we're on the brink of something special, but there's always that fear factor. Well, we're still going to have to play New Zealand in Paris if we are going to get over our quarterfinal hoodoo.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a certain... You can look at it probably a couple of ways. Yeah, like, OK, we we, we won a group game. We still have to probably beat Scotland to guarantee you know good qualification so that hasn't changed really in any in any sense so purely in a rugby sense no nothing really has changed it's just as I think it's all psychological it's all kind of the aura and the mindset around this team and even the view of this team we know this team has been good we know we've had good teams in the past but there's just something different about this team and Andy Farrell will be you know talking to these players and saying like we, but that wasn't as you said. That wasn't Ireland's A game. Ireland have played a lot better in, in in games up until this. But you've proved that you can win a game that goes into the trenches. That that's an absolute, you know, a bar a bar brawl. Um, you can score one try and still beat South Africa. That that's you know that's probably not something you would have said a while ago. You would have to score a couple of tries to even have a chance. Defensively, you match them, you know, toe for toe, uh, uh, blow for blow, and you know you you proved that you can probably defend any team in the world. Um. And again, it's look we know we knew that they could beat South Africa, we knew that they could beat New Zealand, down New Zealand, all that, but you have to see it first, you have to do it first, and then it becomes, you know, then it becomes reality. And you know, it's just now again, Ireland should fear no team now. I I genuinely think South Africa to me was the scariest team left in this competition. I'm not saying France are not scary or New Zealand are not scary, but the way they play, the way it matches up against our kind of style. It's terrifying. So to go and beat them, as I said, in, in an absolute kind of you know a, a bar brawl of a, of a game, and, and come out on top, it's 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 just it's huge. It's a huge boost going into that Scotland game, and then hopefully into a quarter final, where again. Why would you fear a New Zealand team now after beating South Africa, after beating New Zealand the last couple of times? It, it's more like Ireland are going in and out of the games being like, you have to beat us rather than like, what do we have to do to beat these guys? And that is a huge momentum swing when it comes to these games. From South Africa's point of view, again, nothing really like if you play that game 10 times, South Africa will probably win five of that, five of those games. Like, you know what I mean? You make two of those kicks that you missed and you come out on top, that's the margins it is. So there's no point in getting too down the dumps about it from South Africa's point of view. Uh, they'll still qualify, and again, no team wants to see them in quarter final or, or, or onwards. So, South Africa, I wouldn't be—they're w- not going to be too. They're obviously disappointed, but this doesn't change how dangerous they are and how much of a threat they are down the road. Uh, it just was nice to get one over on them in the in the group games, at least. Yeah, but it it always is to to get a
3: big scalp, and it was you know the first um the first World Cup game between Ireland and South Africa, so that's. Ireland have won 100% record against South Africa in World Cups? You know, there's, there's always that side of things to it. And,
2: just and let's hope we, we don't play them again. <laughs> let's hope yeah, we don't leave, see them, them in the 30 years or something. Just, <laughs> yeah, just ideally, so we can,
3: yeah. You know, 32 even. Um, but, but before we finish up, we, we should say, like, the group is not over yet. You can look at it whichever way you want. But it, personally, I think Scotland having to play twice against Tonga and Romania and having to perform before they play us is going to be. Feel like that's a big it's a big factor that probably should be talked about. I feel like South Africa will just go out and they'll get the job done against Tonga, you know, regardless. I, I can't see them slipping up there, to be honest. So if Ireland win, they'll top the pool. South Africa will probably take second with that tribone with a tri bonus point result over Tonga next Sunday. So starting with yourself, David, the consensus before the tournament was. Ireland or Scotland or South Africa whoever won that game will come first and whoever lost that game will come second are you are you still sticking by that as we head into the last two weeks of the the pool stages
0: uh well given that there's uh spoiler it's twenty minutes gone in the Scotland Tonga game and Tonga are currently winning um yeah I think that's yes. probably that's probably it's ten seven uh Tonga just scored a lovely try um I think that's that's likely um you know Scotland. Uh, you know there was a lot of complaints from Ireland. Or well, at least I know there was a lot of complaints from myself and people I know about the the draw and the the nature of how early, uh, before the the actual tournament the draw is made and and the fact that we ended up with the five top ranked teams in the world in just two pools. Um, I think the real the real victims of that were not Ireland or South Africa or France or or New Zealand. Uh, they were Italy. Or, Italy and Scotland, um, Scotland in particular, They're the fifth round team in the world. Um, are they on a level with the top four? Probably not. You'd probably favour any of the top four against them, but they're a very good team, and you have to imagine if they were in Pool C or Pool D, they'd probably top them. Um, that being said, uh, I don't think Scotland have beaten Ireland home or away since 2017. Um, I and I have just they'll
3: have to win with by denying us a bonus point more than likely. And they haven't yeah. done that in, in over 20 years.
0: Yeah, I just, and, and like the way Ireland play, you know, a, a team like New Zealand were really the perfect foil to Ireland's, Ireland's attack. Um, I, I cannot see a world, I can't see a world in which Ireland don't win that game, but there's definitely not a world in which Ireland don't score four tries. Um, and it, if Scotland win by more than seven points, I'd be very, very shocked. So I think Scotland are a little bit goosed, um, irrespective of, of of anything else um so i i would expect that i mean yeah we might lose in top of the pool, but I would expect that Ireland will win that game on top of the pool and i would I would anticipate that that uh, south africa will will do a number on tonga and and finish second um it it is it is funny you know you want to be respectful of the teams, but I think both coaches are certainly um a lot of commentators online are already talking about. South Africa v France and Ireland v New Zealand as if they're done deals. Um, I would like to see Italy have a, have some words to say about that uh, when they face off against New Zealand. Um, but yeah, for me right now, I I can't imagine a scenario in which that's not the way that this pool this pool pans
3: out. Yeah, well, not understandable at that. And Tala, we're we're kind of booking your ticket in to play France in that final for you. E. Um, you know, we'd be kind like that. Um, over here. But do you think it is gonna be Ireland top, South Africa second, and, and that showdown with France? And if if that is what you're thinking, would you back South Africa to, to take France in the quarterfinal?
1: Um, yes, I think it's gonna be Ireland versus um, Ireland and South Africa, number one and number two. Yeah, I don't think surprises usually happen when um two Six Nations teams or two rugby championship teams face each other. Like in World Cups, that usually just basically follows form. And as you guys have mentioned, Ireland has great form against Scotland. So I, I can't, as as David said, it's either, you know, they lose by within seven and don't allow them to get a bonus point or any the the cases. I can't see it all falling to pieces in a dramatic way. Um, then your question about, <clears throat> excuse me, about the quarterfinal against France so obviously there's a big well a, a big a cheekbone in the room with um, Antoine Dupont and his status and whether he's going to be available for the for the quarterfinal I am going to assume he's going to be available I'm assuming that you know depending on obviously the seriousness of the injury he's had a plate inserted into his face if he can see <laughs> pretty much if he can see like to like 80 percent I think he plays some role in the quarterfinal so I'm assuming that DuPont plays. I'm assuming that France will maybe have some dramas, but will be able to beat Italy. Like I don't even with if especially if um Aldrit and uh Marchand are all back, which they should be, then I think France beats Italy. And I think France is able to beat um then if if it's if it's a quarterfinal and France are at close to full strength. Um yeah, I can't see France losing the quarterfinal. Like, yeah. you know, they're the ones hosting the party. I can't see them leaving their own party that early. And even, I mean, if DuPont's not there, obviously that changes the equation, but it would be typical France to lose their best player and to look like they have no hope and then to at least produce a crazy performance against the Springboks and knock them out in the quarterfinal. And it seems like England would be on their side of the draw, then to lose to England in the semi final. So... And um, Cooks, um, one of my compatriots in the Rugby Bits podcast, had this prediction that England's going to go to the final, which obviously we all laughed at before the World Cup. And now I kind of see the path because England's on the same side as France. France have an injury. France can take out South Africa um, without DuPont and England faces France without DuPont. Something crazy could happen. Bob's your uncle. It's England versus Ireland in the final, um, which I'm sure Ireland would love. Um, So... Yeah, I, I can still see France. If France has DuPont, I think France are the favorites. Can South Africa win? Of course they could. But actually, interestingly enough, South has a pretty doesn't have the best record in close games in the Jacques Ninaba era. So we've had 13 games that have ended within seven points. South Africa's won five of those games and has lost eight, which is, I think it's partly because of conversion. We don't really convert our chances, be it through kicking or relying on almost like relying on the ref to make a call with like a scrum or running more like we had yesterday and not being able to sort of execute, you know, an attack to get, you know, a try if needed or whatever the case is. So I think there is, I don't think there's a reason for France or Ireland to fear if they face the spring box in a knockout game, you know, the, the, the formulas there on beating the spring box. If you can at least get parity up front So get parity with your set pieces um, and not leak any penalties, get under 10 penalties conceded and match up to them in the rucks and the collision, there is a way of beating South Africa. So it's then just a matter of, you know, there's the extra stuff of, you know, does South Africa have a kicker? What is their bench composition? Um, is LaRue or whoever playing can they do that bit of magic but there there shouldn't be any reason for France and and Italy to fear I mean Italy and Ireland to fear now yeah if France doesn't have Dupont that's going to be very interesting but yeah I can't, Saifka should be the favourites but I won't rule out that France with obviously all the fans there um, they still would have if Machant and and Aldrit are there have their best pack pretty much maybe Paul Villemsa comes back into the team as well they should. They won't lose too much to South Africa in terms of what happens up front. They still have the best goal kick in the world. Maxine Lucu is not a bad scrum off at all. He's pretty decent. I think there's definitely a way for France
3: to still win that game. There probably is. David, do you want to jump in there? You're on mute there, David.
0: Sorry. I am on mute. Uh, sorry, just wanted to pause the question. I don't know if, why anyone here would know the answer because I know you' are from France. But I have a sneaking suspicion that France might slightly be ruining yesterday's results. I don't know if it's just me, but does anyone else get the sense that they I've, would have rather I feel face... like they have a better chance against Ireland in the quad final, yeah. <laughs> they, I feel they have a much better... Now, to be fair, they ha- I was checking the, the listings because I was curious. They have only played South Africa once since before 2019. Um, so, And at least South Africa did win that one. It was in Marseille. But I, I, I don't know. I have a sneaking suspicion that... Now, South Africa are just a good foil to most teams. They're they're tough motherfuckers, sorry. Um, but yeah. I I have a sneaking suspicion that that France are ruined that a little bit. I think they would have preferred to take Ireland.
3: Yeah, I I think they would have as well, to be honest. And it's it a lot of that is because well Ireland's record in Paris is poor. You know, like called a spade a spade. It it is it is poor, and but then France will rue Dupont getting injured as well, and.
0: Combine that That, with our quarterfinal record, like yeah,
3: yeah, and like personally, I think I I had the belief that if France were going to get caught, it would come before the final. So I felt like final study France, it would just just be too much for a lot of teams at the moment. Maybe there's a case to be made that they've shown enough nerves that there could be a nervous final in them as well, and you know maybe South Africa, as as Talis said, maybe they get the job done, but probably more of a of a coin flip game more than more than anything else really. And yeah, Tana, do you want to jump in there to close it out?
1: Yeah, my theory has always been that I think Syria actually has a better chance in the final than they would in a quarter final against France. Just yeah. I think there's the final almost evens out sort of the crowd factor because obviously the crowd will be almost as nervous as probably the players are. And it's we know how the French crowd can get, obviously if if, if things go against them. And I think, I mean, France is, I don't think France would be that unhappy if they lose like at a final, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world if I can put it like that. So there might be like a bit of like, okay, you know what, this is fair enough if we lose to the Springboks, if it's not like England or Ireland or whatever. So yeah, my theory has always been if the Springboks win the World Cup, it's hopefully with New Zealand facing them in the quarterfinal and not France, which is why the loss yesterday, I think, could be, um, yeah, uh, uh, let's not say fatal yet, but yeah, it it, it could make things a lot, it makes things a lot more difficult for the Springboks because I'm not sure if they can beat France in the quarterfinal.
3: Well, I, I, I think it's, it's credit to all the teams as well that Ireland would fear South Africa or France or New Zealand. They respect, like not overwhelming fear, but they respect them and the same goes for for all four teams. I think that's it's credit to where they're at. I I know you said maybe England could get to a final, but yeah, you know, they'd have to overturn a forty three point loss to France earlier on in the year. I understand Harry Henry Arundel is the second coming of Jesus Christ after scoring five tries yesterday, but I don't I don't think they're that good now at the moment. Stephen, I'll finish things with yourself. Certainly, the consensus is Ireland to beat Scotland, and so on. You. You you're already saying you're heading over to the quarterfinals. You're probably th- already thinking, okay, let's let's get that win. You know, let let's beat Scotland and and become an inconfident. because I won't be chatting to you before then on, on the pod. How do you see it on un- unfolding for Ireland over the next couple of weeks?
2: Yeah, I I just don't think Scotland are good enough. Unfortunately, I think they're they're yes. a decent team, <laughs> but I'm yeah I'm sorry I, I, I I've never feared. <laughs> Literally since the game where how dropped that ball over the line where they should have beaten us, I think since then they just have this mental block with Ireland, and I just don't think they're good yeah. enough. If Finn, it's all about Finn Russell with them. If you can some, if you can stop him or negate him to a certain degree, I just don't think they have enough. Um, and Ireland don't fear them uh, even a little bit. So I think they'll beat them. I think South Africa will finish second, and yeah, we'll play play New Zealand in the quarterfinals, which I think we. Um, I think, I'd, again, personally going into the game, I would have rather played France just for the atmosphere. I think the atmosphere would have been incredible. But I do think we have a better chance of beating New Zealand um, than France, especially in Paris. So I think that's... Uh, yeah, but regarding Scotland and the remaining group games, uh, yeah, I just don't think Scotland... You, you can clip this Scottish fans if you want and play it to me in, in two weeks' time. But um, as of now, the, the only nightmare situation is Ben Healy coming on kicking the penalty to win us because I've talked so much shit I've had Ben Healy and Munster and now Scotland. So that'll that that's the worst case scenario for me, but I just don't see it happening. It's a miracle I let you on this podcast. Yeah, no, re- really is <laughs> <been on. laughs>
3: no, it's I, I'm of a similar belief about Scotland. I think when they beat us, I'll be afraid of them then. But they haven't shown that they can, you know, and that's they've they've beaten France when when there's no pressure on them, and, and they've beaten England because they rise to that game, they haven't beaten Ireland and kinda of like this I felt the same about the South Africa game. They don't beat South Africa, so why would they have beaten them in Marseille? You know, and South Africa laid out a great blueprint as to how to how to stop them as well in, in that game, you know, and I still can't get past the sense that I think South Africa will win the World Cup and they'll beat us in the final. Even still, but I, I hope not. I hope we can if we do get a replay between the two teams, it it, it would be a cracker if if last night it was Anthony to go by. And I suppose that's that's what we have time for t- today, lads. And thank you very very much for joining me. It's been it's been a pleasure to talk about a great Irish performance. Maybe maybe not for Tala, but it's been a great to have you on and to give your perspective on things as well, mate. It's it's always it's always good to hear the outside perspective on these games. And for those listening at home, I'll be back on on Monday night with our flagship recap pod as we look back at the other seven games, which includes of course Scotland Tonga, which we mentioned here, the the France Namibia game. And the big showdown which comes tonight as we record between Wales and Australia with so many storylines surrounding Australia at the moment and, and Eddie Jones as they always seem to do. As always, thanks, thanks to Home for everyone for listening. Thanks to lads for coming on and if you do like what you see here from myself or from the lads, you can find the links to all our channels including the, the Rugby Bits podcast and the Master of None podcast. That'll be tagged in the description. But for now and until next time, take it easy